welcome to the February edition of Ladies First. I am Corey and I have returned from Rona land safe and sound because, you know, I got vaccinated. Yay. Taylor's back with me. Whoop. Hello. So we are doing another installment of lady friends, like actual friends, not straight people not seeing that women are dating type of thing, but actual lady friends. So there's two more films. We well, it's not really films, but two more entity properties we're going to talk about this week. Um, one is Josie and the Pussycats, which is a bit of a deep dive. Not for me, because this came out when I was in high school and I still remember it. And I think it's genius. And if it would have come out just last year, I think it had been gangbusters. But that's neither here or there. I just gave my age away. Um, and then also the Cheetah Girls series from Disney. Yeah, and the Cheetah Girls is more along my generation and what I grew up with. But I actually, um, it wasn't really something I was like I was aware of it. I saw the movies when they were on TV, but it wasn't like something that like my friends actually watch that much. So it's interesting watching it almost for the first time in its entirety as an adult. And in that perspective where I'm like, oh, I'm an adult watching this. So I have thoughts. And I'm going to go first. I'm just going to get a rant out. Not anything against these properties that we're going to be talking about. And I do still think it's important to look at media entities that talk about female friendship. It's not a knock against that. But fuck this episode. Fuck this episode. I had to go back and rewatch all of these. Do you know what I have in my head? I have the Cheetah Girls one world in my head. I wake up at three o'clock in the night. <laughs> da 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 over and over and over, and I lay awake in the dark with it looping through my head. Uh, Make it stop. <sighs> okay, I had to get that out. Somebody had to feel my pain. Completely understandable. And I'm just like, I don't know what it is about that one particular song, but it just unlocked a bunch of other song memories that I had quite contentedly forgotten about. Also made me remember the Lindsay Lohan, Jamie Lee Curtis, Freaky Friday film and Lindsay Lohan singing Ultimate. Couldn't figure out where the fuck that was coming from until I finally started Googling. And then I'm like, oh, this is great. It's also ancient. Oh, the early 2000s are coming back hard in so many ways. And I'm just like, I didn't ask for this. Brain. You can forget things. It's okay. Don't squirrel away a Lindsay Lohan song from like 2004 and bring it back to me in the year 2022 or in the year 2050. You can let it go. Much like the Disney song, which I'm sure a lot of parents are still trying to forget. Uh, one good thing about trauma affecting your memory is it makes it easier to not have earworms constantly just jumping you by surprise i'm, like, I'm I, gonna guess you weren't laying awake in the middle of the night with one of these songs blasting through your head nope mm. like i was watching the cheetah girls movie and i was like oh this fashion sense is like 
vaguely familiar and like take me back to like the early 2000s when I see all this stuff on TV. But like overall, that's big blur slash black hole of my life. So I'm just like, I'm vibing, I'm chilling. And that's okay. like the one benefit. <laughs> You want to talk it. about early 2000s. Josie and the Pussycats, we're talking about the 2001 film with Rachel A. Cook, Tara Reid, and a very young Rosario Dawson mm-hmm. before she did Rent. She didn't actually sing in this one. She lip synced. She sang in Rent. Didn't sing in this one. And honestly, I still think everybody needs to watch this film because it is just so darkly satirical and so prophetic about product placement, rampant capitalism, everything hyper consumerism that is fucked up with our world today. Like this film warned us about 21 years ago, but it was it was just it's a Cassandra call to ahead of its time. And people are just like, I don't know what to make of this. Definitely. I sometimes think about how nice it would be if I could like live, stay in a cabin for like two weeks with no internet connection and have enough like food stocked up and that I can just like, and like board games and stuff so I don't go insane with boredom just so I can get away away from advertisements because we are constantly bombarded with ads on like the internet, on TV, just when we're out walking on the street and it is exhausting. It's like, have you seen the movie Minority Report? Yeah. It's like that. So Minority Report, ads like are like moving. And like, I think the ads like will literally move in front of your face, like on your glasses or something. Like, I remember watching that movie and it's like Josie and the Pussycats where it's like dystopic with the advertisements and how just all consuming they are. And, and but that's the thing is like Josie and the Pussycats was very satirical about like, mm-hmm. oh no, they're going to make you like it. Because like that Minority Report, it's it's oppressive. It's dystopian. Yeah. Josie and the Pussycats, it's satirical in the way of like, no, this is how it's actually going to be presented to you. And most of us are going to eat this shit up before we actually exactly. stop and think about it. It's like Brave New World versus 1984, where like in Bra- Brave New World, the masses are like, like totally like, um, not docile, but they are accepting and taking in all the pleasures of society that it's like the opiate of the masses Mm -hmm. to reference Marx, to be a nerd. And well, 1984, 1984 is just pure on surveillance oppression. Um, And like, I rewatched this great video, this YouTube video that's titled Josie and the Pussycats is the greatest movie ever made. And it's um, one of the things the, video essay makes a great point of is like for women queer people people of color they don't need a really like intense science fiction dystopic epic to have a story about alienation from society the way um traditional white straight male protagonists often find themselves in because society is often alienating and oppressive to most people in the world. So you can have a very satirical world and story like Josie and the Pussycats while still being very warm and loving because you can find ways to find friendship in this world that is like constantly trying to control you. 
because that is real life. And that's what I like about Josie and the Pussycats is like, it is very much a stark warning against rampant capitalism and consumerism, Mm -hmm. but it's very, very palatable in a way that you can watch it and you're not going to feel like your soul is just shredded afterwards. It's still ultimately uplifting because you've got these three girls who capitalism does everything it can to chew them up and spit them out and rip them apart from their friends. And the way they win in the end is, you know, by rejecting that kind of hyper consumism, rampant capitalism, celebrity culture and staying true to their friendships Mm-hmm. and their original style of music you know and it's 2001 it was pop rock i mean 2001 pop music is its own pop rock especially is its own thing um i don't even know if people could try to do that today and have it come off as well as it did back then but it's 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 a thing it's a whole thing but it slaps it just it's very much it's the idea of the power of love and how like love really is at the heart of why we do anything, whether Mm. it's romantic love, familial love, platonic love, the love of art. Sororal love. Yeah, sororal, yeah, it's always love, always love, which I'm a cheesy person at heart. I'm fine, I'm at peace with that. And it's just, get out the fondue plates, kids, because I'm here for the cheese. Mm -hmm. Like I was rewatching the ending scene and when like, um the boyfriend shows up the love interest and he like declares his love i just love that scene not only because i loved actually i actually love the the love confession scenes in movies i find them very moving in general i love the fact that her friends who are you know the band is all very excited for in that moment because it's such a great moment as a really you know very genuine moment between friends where the friends are excited because they're like ah i'm excited because this person is like finding love and that's a very real thing where you've been watching these two people who you're friends with and been waiting for them to just admit their feelings and make it happen and it's actually happening like I think about when my friends you know before the pandemic when they'd be getting ready for dates and being like give me all the details later I'm excited for you I'm going to be waiting up and just just oh so good and just rewatching the movie and seeing so many like moments um interspersed with the main narrative of them just bonding like when they're getting their makeup done when they got signed like in the whole whirlwind of the start of their career and they were like sitting in the makeup chair and they were like making faces at each other or like throwing stuff and singing and it was just so great because it was just the movie really took its time to develop this friendship in small moments and show you that this the, this has been a friendship between three women that has been going on for a long time so yeah love, love that movie i will also say i think it's very interesting of this is maybe one of the last films before hollywood decided if we're gonna have a singing role then the person playing it is gonna be singing because rachel lee cook mm-hmm. did not sing like she you know, lip synced or whatever um, to it. But the voice for her was actually Kay Hanley of Letters to Cleo. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the last films I can remember before Hollywood kind of was like, 
Well, if we're going to do singy films, then the singy singer people should be acting acting too. No more dubbing. I'm like, okay, that's cool. But, you know, Bollywood does it and it's great. And two different people get a paycheck from it and not as many people are stressed out. That's a good point. It's like, you can, it's like, I remember when Limits came out and everyone just seeing how much like effort everyone put in having to sing while acting at the same time. And it's, it's, it's I'm not too, saying that yeah. there aren't double threats or triple threats oh, absolutely. or whatever. I'm saying that I don't necessarily think you should have to do that if you mm-hmm. have the other option. I mean, look at um, uh, The Greatest Showman. Mm-hmm. Most of them are singing outside of Never Enough. They got Rebecca Ferguson and then they had another lady singing that song and it worked because rebecca ferguson sold the hell out of that when she was performing i actually have never seen the greatest showman so i don't know what you're referencing it doesn't make a flying rip it's totally fine i think more people should try to do that unless it's like hollywood is like we're gonna be cheap and not pay an extra person i don't know i don't know what they're thinking i think they should maybe at least entertain bringing it back because then, you know, maybe I wouldn't be stuck watching Ansel Elgort in West Side Story. That is also fair. I mean, I've heard some shady I'm things. I'm just saying. That is also fair. I also have not seen West Side Story yet. I haven't seen a lot of new movies yet because I have not left my house that much. Because it's pandemic. Ansel Elgort. That's, I mean, that casting tells you all you need to know. Yeah, that is true. I was excited because I was like, ooh, a Spielberg blockbuster for a musical. And, and then I'm like, Ansel Elgore. And the tub of mayo. And I was like, Ansel Elgore, why? I'm sorry. No, it's Wet okay. cardboard. Wet cardboard. Not even cons- not even taking into effect all like the personal crap and allegations oh, going yeah. on. I'm just saying as an actor, rancid tub of mayo mixed with shreds of wet cardboard. I've only think I've only, I think I've only seen him in like one or two movies. I, was he in Baby Driver? Yes. I think that's what I've seen. I've seen him in Baby Driver, and that's maybe it. So like he was fine in that, but like for me, it was the shady stuff that gave me a problem, primarily with the casting. But again, I haven't seen enough of his work to like comment. Um, but yeah, like I again with the whole singing acting thing, I was thinking just with like Miz and. Anne Hathaway having to act out the I have a dream scene while also singing and just how exhausting that must have been. And I get it. Like, there's probably some musical theater people that are like, how dare you? I have trained my entire life for this. And I'm like, well, okay, that's great for you. But you're also doing that on stage and not with a camera right in front of your face, capturing your every emotion. You know what happens when you try to do that? You know what happens? Dear Evan Hansen. And how did that movie work out? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I bet it was very bad because, again, I have not seen that yet. I really need to get back into theaters. Um, But I could tell from the Dear Evan Hansen trailer itself that it was probably very cringe. And that was something I appreciated about the Cheetah Girls is they actually casted teenagers to play high schoolers Mm because 
Ooh, the actor who they like. That was the smoothest fucking segue you have ever done. Thank you. (laughs) I am impressed. I just love Dear Evan Hansen out there. And you're like, speaking of casting age appropriately, the Cheetah Girls. I don't know if I'll ever top that. But no, seriously, I was like watching it and I was like, oh, this is so refreshing. They actually are teenagers and they have the baby face. And like, it makes it more genuine, like taking them seriously as teenagers who have their dramas and their fashions. Because like, Seeing their cringy t- early 2000s fashions with all the bright colors and the layering is taking me back to my high school fashion choices, which I was like, I mean, I'm going to say this. I don't necessarily think that the layering needed to go. I don't think it was bad. I, don't, I just think it was it's just very high school. It's very much what, you know, it's very right. reflective of teenagers experimenting and figuring out their looks. I don't think it's bad at all. I'm all for teenagers figuring themselves out. You want to talk about fashion? I don't need to come back. The early 2000s fashion where all the shorts were cut super, super short on your torso and you had the low rise jeans. Those can stay. Those can stay gone. I I am so glad I was um, a wee one in that because I'm so glad I was not a teenager in the early 2000s that I was a toddler and like kindergartner because if I had to try to wear low rise jeans, it would have been bad. I'm um, just saying that that's, that's like one of the things from Josie and the Pussycats of like the fashion in that. I'm like, oh, man, that was that was a time. But you've so also cool got adults such. playing these roles. So it doesn't seem quite as yikesy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so I haven't seen the show Euphoria, but like I keep seeing people talk about it on Twitter and so, like, I kept thinking of Euphoria while watching the Cheetah Girls because both are stories about high schoolers dealing with being teenagers in their own ways. But one is a Disney Channel movie with and actual teenagers. And the other teenagers. one is, like, an fueled hell on earth made by a white dude that is doesn't know what he's doing and is taking some liberties with younger people that he really should not be. Yeah, and it's just... I just... What was great with the Cheetah Girls is that I felt like I was being taken back to my high school years, even though I had a completely different high school experience, of course. But I was just like, yeah, I, I'm this. I this feels like an authentic extrapolation of what it means to be a, a teen girl with your friends, where you're very passionate about something and you're driven. Because I hate mm-hmm. this idea that teen girls are very silly and emotional and um, are just flighty that they don't they can't be serious well no teen girls can actually be very driven and determined I mean there's a reason why so many uh YA novels have teen girls leading revolutions because Mm -hmm. teen girls will lead revolutions and okay I'm gonna say this teen girls on a mission are fucking terrifying they are so terrifying oh my god there you will not stop them until they are either dead or they have hit their goal a teenage girl on a mission is a level of determination that if we could bottle it up holy crap you could change the world it's like if you had the i don't give a fuck attitude of a woman in her 30s and the unbridled passion and determination of a teen girl and you combine that you'd have like a super soldier yeah, superhero. Like, those are the two, like, oh, yeah, I think about those two stages of life, and it's just, like, mind-boggling just 
how different yet similar they are, which is why it's interesting watching the Cheetah Girls as an adult, because when you think of the Cheetah Girls, you think about the power of friendship. But watching that as an adult, I'm like, oh, I actually really find fascinating the relationship between the moms and their daughters, because mothers and daughters. Time, once you start hitting your 30s, you're looking at the 15 year olds and you're just like, I wish I still had that level of energy. <laughs> oh my God. I know. I know. Like I'm only in my twenties and I'm like, where did my energy go? Yeah. Like teenage years. You, if we could bottle that energy, it would be fantastic. The thing I find really intriguing about the cheetah girls is they always manage to find an authentic type of drama or conflict for them to have. And I still like, I'm rewatching the first one. I'm like, what's that dog's name? Parquet? Toto? Toto. Yeah. What, where'd I get Parquet? I do not know. Okay. Whatever. It's probably from another movie that I've consciously forgotten, but the recesses of my brain has not. Maybe I'm thinking of Sharpay from high school musical. Anyways, like the first one, they have a big fallout. And they come back mm-hmm. because Raven's character's dog goes missing or falls or fall, and falls down a manhole. And it's a big drama. Like they treat it like it's the biggest fucking deal. And like 30 something me is cringing a little bit. But at the same time, I'm like, well, yeah, if your pet goes missing, it's a big deal. I mean, it like I was cringing a little watching it too because it felt almost like a manufactured thing by the writers to force them to come together. But also I was watching it and like, so a few weeks ago, my roommate and I actually had um, a carbon monoxide scare and we were literally possibly having to like leave our house for a night. Things turned out fine, we're fine. It was our neighbor running a generator unattended in his house very stupid um but literally we had to call the firemen and like my roommate had just gone to kin like a week or two before that and like the kin refused to get in the carrier and so like the kitten was hiding in the house and so like but the and so my roommate could not find a new cat well we're just i'm standing outside while the firemen are like checking the house and the firemen literally said to her we're not gonna like no one gets left behind we're gonna make sure we find your cat and so I was like thinking of this while watching this movie yeah. with the big dramatic scene because like it feels overblown, but like it is kind of like if like even the the scene itself in the movie is kind of like Disney Channel drama mm. cringe to adults. It kind of captures how it feels emotionally when a pet is missing or in danger because a pet is a member of the family and you're going to do whatever it takes. And if you can't find them or reach them, it really does feel like something is the world has stopped. Yeah. I mean, like, I do think that's the most manufactured deus ex machina conflict revolution plot. But like you said, it's like, I mean, your pet is a member of the family. It's not just like, oh, a little rodent went missing. It's, you know, some this creature that I love is gone. And my friends are like, you know, whatever is going on, we understand that this is hard for you. We're going to help. Absolutely. Like, I understand it's like, it's even when you think it's just, it's just, it's taking something 
very like dramatic but the the truth is in the emotions because that's mm. how it felt emotionally like i was actually getting a little emotional watching it so i was like yeah that's how it felt while my roommate was looking for her cat because i was like oh my god where's the cat yeah um, and sometimes it's not about the logic of the plot but how it speaks to your heart which makes sense for a children's film because children of course have the potential to really respect and respond to plot and the flow of a story and character development but also sometimes it's just about the heartstrings because we're all human and we just animal brains we are operate on emotion so much i will say i thought the third film the one that you know Ironically, behind the scenes, the friendship maybe wasn't exactly there between the four actors. Mm -hmm. So the third one, we don't have Raven Simone in it. And it's just um, the other three. And I honestly thought the drama and the resolution for that was the most organic out of all three films. Mm -hmm. Even if I hate this Disney movie, because, again, I lay awake in bed when I'm up at night at 3 a.m. And it just loops and loops and I can't escape it. But plot wise, I actually thought it was like, you know, yeah, I can totally see producers screwing around with people and Hollywood speak, act speak, you know, tell them what they want to hear. And I could see exactly how that could come into contact or conflict with friendships. And I really appreciated that they were just like, you know, no, my friends are more important. And honestly, this lady over here would be much better for this and more authentic to begin with. Because that's the other thing I appreciated. I'm like, oh, oh, the three non-Indian ladies decided, oh, well, maybe we should let this other Indian actress take this role that would be more appropriate for her. I may be reading too much into this, but, you know, I, I'm just really tired of seeing non-Indigenous people getting Indigenous roles mm-hmm. and other people taking roles that are not for them appropriately. So anytime I see a feature where one of the big plot resolutions is people stepping back and being like, you know what, this role isn't appropriate for me. I think it should go to the person it's appropriate for. I'm always happy for. Heck yeah. And... What I appreciate about movies that are about friendships between women where that's like the main focus, especially if it's a movie that's geared towards children, is it's like really showing conflict resolution between friends, which is something we're not really taught as we we grow mm-hmm. up. Like we're constantly shoved like you gotta communicate to your partner, gotta like figure it out. But with friends, you're not really taught that friendship takes work and that it's a its own relationship that will have its ups and downs and that friendships may very well end. Um, it's, it's, it's very much the growing pains of your twenties because you aren't taught it in your childhood and in your teen years. So well, I, I think that's something compared to what we talked about in the last episode. Um, and I think that's the difference between these properties we're talking about in this episode is these are dealing with established friendships and Mm -hmm. last month's episode, you know, Charlie's angels and ghostbusters. It was really about forming those friendship groups. 
So I think this month is really about existing friendship groups and beyond everything else we've talked about, it's in those existing groups, exploring how you have conflict and how you can find healthy ways to resolve it because you do communicate and you, you have these bonds of friendship with these women that you don't want to throw away. It's worth putting in the effort to resolve whatever is going on. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of this picture book I got as a gift from my friend's nieces. And it was about um, where your friend is sad and it's, you don't console them. You do like, you don't offer to give revenge. You don't ask, you know, you just sit with them. And it's this idea that I think as a generation, we're getting better at talking about things. And so I just, I think we're getting better at telling stories about friendship because we're getting better about talking about how to maintain friendships. And I think that's one of the reasons why stories like this, these movies have stayed with us because they've been so reflective and formative in how we think about our own friendships. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, Basically, you know, watch with caution if you are prone to earworms like I am, because I don't know how much more of one world I can take. But I do think they're worth a watch. They're fun films. You know, I think these would easily classify as comfort, comfort watch films. And if you like some subversive material along with your popcorn comfort film, definitely check out Josie and the Pussycats. Yes, very much yes. And I also very much recommend that soundtrack. I very much endorse that. Which one? Sound. There's like four soundtracks here floating out. I very much endorse the Josie and the Pussycats one, but that's because the pop rock sound is more of my vibe. Do you Plus, know who I, worked I, on that? I, I'm sorry. I can't keep it in. I thought I was going to get out of this episode without going off on a tangent. I think it was Fountains of Wayne and Babyface. I could be wrong. I remember hearing about it today, but then I forgot. So Babyface did one, two, three, four, five, six of these songs as was the producer. Mm-hmm. And then um, Adam Schlesinger fountains of wayne did like the other half and then there's this one i don't know who the hell presidential campaign is i probably should have looked them up before but i'm like you have some like bona fide bop makers on here like either Mm -hmm. in producer roles or in writing positions and i'm just like it is a crime that more people don't give this a listen to yeah and Dave, Dave so. Gibbs is the other one and if he sounds familiar it's because well no nobody's going to recognize him from gigolo ants um <laughs> you're going to recognize him if you are an older millennial like me he was like the soundtrack of your high school years because he was like that thing you do Everwood alias One Tree Hill Smallville, uh, like he was all over those shows contributing Ah. music to that. So, I mean, like you've got three people here who are just guaranteed to put out good work. And I am just 
deeply, deeply sad that more people haven't listened to it yet. Oh, I need to get the soundtrack now because I am like in a CD craze and like I need it. I need it so badly. Yeah, I mean, like Babyface has worked with like freaking Whitney Houston. I mean, come on. And fun fact for our listeners, Whitney Houston was a producer on the Cheetah Girls. I somehow did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yep. See, every time I start going in on the Cheetah Girls, I can get in in about five minutes and then all my brain does is one world, one <laughs> world. And, I'm, and that's like all my brain gets stuck on a loop like a hamster wheel and it's just going, going, going and then the smoke coming out and then it just crashes. I don't know why I do this to myself, but this is what happens. This is probably what at least one more week of my life is going to be, maybe the rest of the month. I'll try to send you a lot of different songs to help get it out of your head. Anyways, so that's going to be it for us this week. Uh, pardon me, this month. It's another shorter, kind of more of a popcorn episode in and of itself. So we were trying to start the year off lighter because, you know, shit's on fire and it's been on fire and sometimes you just want some fun episodes to do and listen to amen so thank you for tuning in we will be back next month in the meantime i don't have my list of podcasts up in front of me but i'm gonna try and wing it and taylor can let me know if i've forgotten don't forget to check out our other fundamentals network shows Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics, Ladies First, obviously. That's Haram, Sartorial Splendor, All Bark, No Dice, Anime Attaché, and our weekly uh, TTRPG Live Play, Faith Forge Academy. That is every Friday. And also on Thursdays, we have Cannon Fodder. Did I get all uh, of them, Taylor? Um, the, did you mention Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics yes. and Right to Survive? I did. I forgot Right to Survive. That's the one I forgot. Also, all bark, well, no dice. Go. There we go. Taylor rounded it out for me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> check those shows out. <laughs> In our the meantime, bliss. we hope you all are staying safe. We hope you all are, you know, just hanging in there because shit's rough. Shit's rough. It's okay to admit it. But it could be even rougher. You could have one world stuck in your head. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's all the time we have this month. We will be back in March. See ya. And stay safe.